America's public enemy number one in the United States is drug abuse. So I see that uh, the legislature is talking about cocaine. No, <laughs> legalizing marijuana yeah. on the federal level, decriminalizing. Yeah, yeah. So welcome to the Daily Attic Podcast. It's your boy Tim and your boy Dave. Hey, today we have a special guest. Of course, you know her. The Don't Punish the Pain movement. Um catalyst here and and motivator claudia mirandi welcome hey guys thanks for having me back it's good to have you back um i mean we still call you feisty claudia so yeah we still that's your nickname that we gave you i hope you don't mind i hope you don't <laughs> Not mind. at all okay good um yeah so uh what have you been up to lately? What, what's what's been the newest, the Let's latest, see. and greatest? I, I mean, I'm well, sure you're not busy, right? I'm sure there's yeah, no, no. It's in, <laughs> I'm in a yeah. It's always pretty dead around here. Well, things since we first spoke, things have gotten progressively worse. Um, I'm advocating day and night at this point, but I kind of reshifted my focus to working with doctors who have been targeted by the DEA, and um, I have a new business. It's called the Doctor-Patient Forum. And basically, you know, people can bring me in to advocate where they need me to advocate. It's just gotten so, so busy. It is a nonprofit, something that I said I never wanted to do. But, you know, the time has come. I took the Don't Punish Pain Rally organization as far as I could take it with, uh, you know, no donations and just as a volunteer grassroots group. But the demand was far too great, and it started to cost me a lot of money. So, you know, I work with doctors now, and if you thought shit was crazy before, you ain't seen nothing yet. (laughs) Because these doctors are terrorized, and the room is crowded with the patient, the doctor, and the DEA agent. It's bad. So if I thought things couldn't have gotten worse, I was sadly mistaken. Things are, it's pretty dire. Yeah, that's, um, that, that, that's kind of like they have to escalate it to the point of, you know, total, total draconian law. You know, if they don't have control of the situation, um, they don't, they don't feel safe. I don't think, I think it's between the patient and the doctor. And at this point, it's like, uh, they have no shame about going into a patient's hospital room and searching their room for cannabis or anything else. And just terrorizing whoever they want, even a sick, this guy had stage four cancer Yeah, and they're in his room. You know what I mean? They have no, so yeah, doctors, uh, that that's good that um, you're transitioning to, to help more people and to, and to stop some of this uh, terrorism, I'll call it. But yeah. tell us more about your doctor-patient forum. I'm interested so in that. So the doctor-patient forum will hopefully go live in January. Uh, a lot of work goes into building a website, something I'm not. I am completely computer illiterate, and I would rather speak live in front of 3 million people than get on the website and work on it. I just hate doing it. But... Um, You know, once that's live, myself and other doctors, we are available to be brought into the doctor's office to advocate for both the patient and the doctor. Uh, You know, every time I get a phone call from a doctor, you know, they're like, what can I do? I want to help. I'm ready to fight back. That's big because I didn't have that a year ago. Two years ago, a doctor wouldn't even think about discussing this with a non-doctor. So it's, you know, I've definitely, you know, we're, of the largest rally movement in the country. We're the first organization to rally nationwide, um, you know, for people with pain who just, who've been cut off. And if I get, you know, I get caught into ad, when I get called in to advocate, I always say, please God, let, let the person be, um, exaggerating because I still try to have some faith left in, you know, mankind until I get into the situation. I was like, Oh my God, it's, it's just as bad as this poor man or woman explained, but 
you know, I try to encourage the doctor to do the right thing, but I get the doctor's fear. You know, when there's fear and you're a doctor, you'll lose everything. Yeah. And, you know, these guys and gals and whatever, if I said gals, I'll probably get attacked for saying that, you know, <laughs> they've put in, they went to school for 11 years, right? They've invested a million dollars in their education and they're married and they have little ones and they think, you know, I'm an, I'm a pain management doctor or they're an orthopedic surgeon, but you know, their colleagues are like, don't prescribe opioids. So a lot of practices just shut down. They stopped prescribing and millions and millions of people were left to suffer. So we protest again in March. Um, we continue to grow. We, you know, we have chapters in Canada and the UK, Australia, and, um, you know, there is some good news. The good news is we, we support providers. We're there for the doctors which we weren't before because we didn't know what was happening. Um, we have a lawsuit now against large chain pharmacies, which I'm really not at liberty to, to discuss more than that. But the good news is if you have been denied getting your script filled in certain states, we move forward with a lawsuit. So that's, I really believe that this lawsuit will, you know, put the plight of the pain patient on the map. So that's positive. Um, I was on the Dr. Drew show um, originally on Twitter. He was throwing, you know, fellow doctors, colleagues under the bus. I saw that. And I, yeah. And I, I, said, I, I thought, he, I thought of you immediately. He sent a tweet yeah. out about uh, patients, um, pain management patients are uh, yeah. uh, borderline druggies or something to that nature. Yeah. And I thought about you right away. I was like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was so innocent the way it happened. His wife runs his Twitter, Sue Pinsky. And, you know, she said, um, oh, why don't you call into the show the next day? So I did. And I didn't even know that she, you know, she tweeted me back. So I called into the show and I was the first one to get on. But this man was so dismissive of me. Another advocate was on hold and he was caught on a hot mic and he said some things he shouldn't have said. Uh, the other advocate was invited on the show. She didn't want to go on the show. Um, I agreed to go on the show with two um, other doctors, myself and Dan Laird, who I speak with, and Dr. Vanilla Singh, who I've not spoken with. And, you know, I mean, the show went as well as it could have gone, but that dude is clearly, you know, he's, look, he's an, he's an addict. He's an addiction specialist. So his faith and his uh, beliefs are very strong and his, you know, belief system is you take painkillers, painkillers, you're going to get hooked and just the typical. Does he believe the chemical hooks theory that the drug is really the, the drug is really the catalyst behind addiction? Does it, do you know if he thinks that or not? I don't know because he did comment, you know, why are we discussing molecules? And a doctor said, you know, Dr. Feldman, who I work with, he explained it to me. He's like, you know, Botox, um, if you put it in our water system, it would be very bad. But it's used every day, a million times right. a day, and it's got some wonderful benefits. It's a toxin. Same, same with pain medication. Yeah. And, you know, the country has been so um, misled. They've been plagued by opioid hysteria, while prescribing is now at an all-time low, and the numbers are in, um, overdosing is skyrocketing and we predict 2020 will be the worst year yet. And, you know, a lot of states will say, Oh no, overdosing is down. No overdose deaths are down because Narcan is readily available. We're still not tackling the issue. You know, why are so many people overdosing on illicit fentanyl? Because a, they're addicts, B, they, they need to get their fix, but they don't know it's um, laced with illicit fentanyl. Yeah. And that's scary. You know what? You we, know, you guys are dads. Yeah. And I'm a mom. So. You know what's been interesting lately, uh, Claudia, is we've been covering stories about car fentanyl. Is yeah, that, am I yeah, saying that right? Crazy. Which is a thousand times stronger than yeah. fentanyl. And it's, and it's yeah. 10,000 times stronger than morphine. And there's been a couple of yeah. busts lately, big uh, landmark busts uh, with a lot of carfentanil in the Ohio area, because mm-hmm. Ohio is a big like hub for 
transportation sure. and highway, you know, and then also yeah. there's been another big one uh, that we covered too. That was like pounds of it. So you got to imagine the dose of carfentanil is the size of a, a, a grain of sand. Basically, mm-hmm. if you, you can overdose cause they, it's an elephant tranquilizer. Mm-hmm. So they're mixing this with you know they're making they're pressing fake pills they're mixing it with the cocaine they're putting it in the heroin the morphine to make it even stronger and they are not they're not scientists or they're not pharmacists they don't realize they're just street dealers doing this stuff and that's what you know and that's people are being driven to use that so it's you know it's very important but hey i just had a couple questions uh going back a little bit um you have a big march uh rally planned um, tell us a little about where is that going to be? So March 20th, uh, we protest again and hopefully, um, people have started to pull their permits. It's, it's cold in March, as we all know. So I told people, you know, protest at a VA, protest at your Capitol, pull your permits now yeah. and get to a library because media wants to hear from pain patients. Now, you know, the good news is even the media has acknowledged the pendulum has swung too far. And um, so they want to hear from people with pain. So March 20th will hopefully be, um, you know, another amazing protest. Members come and go in my organization. That's very common with, with, with activism. When did we protest? Like the day before the Dr. Drew show. Um, And that's usually how, you know, in the world of protest, everything kind of happens within a 48, 48, 72 hour time span. But these people, this is their chance to, you know, get out there. And I have an expression. If you follow me, you see it, be seen, be heard, regain the power. Um, And, you know, we, most of the time people get media. So it is, it's so it's, it's really empowering for these people to see themselves on the news and they scroll through and they see all this media coverage, but I created the don't punish pain rally. So others could find us, you know, cause the only way I can get help to people is when they see their state being covered, their rally. So that's how we get help to people is by that media coverage from the rally. So if there's an elderly person sitting home, they're like, Oh my God, that's me. I didn't know this was happening. Um, and that's really how we build our membership through the rally. So it's, it's a super important part of, um, the piece, uh, you know, January, we resume session in Rhode Island for my legislation and we'll see where that's going to go. Uh, it looks pretty good. Um, so there's a lot of things happening behind the scenes, but man, it's, it's hard work. It's day and night and it never stops. What, what happens? I know, I kind of know how you're an advocate when you, uh, when you represent like a patient that calls you and says, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm having this issue. I kind of get that process, but what, what's the process for being an advocate for the doctors besides these big things you're doing, like on a daily basis, like if I was a doctor and I was having problems and I was being harassed or I was, you know, being threatened and I called you, what would, what, what does that, you know, entail as far so as So if people call me to advocate, I usually, I, you know, for, I stopped advocating over the phone, but for, um, I prefer to advocate in person. Obviously I'm usually effective, but I will advocate for people over the phone once the doctor patient form is live. And if somebody's in the hospital post-op and they can't get what they need, you know, if you go into the hospital for surgery, I tell people always have a post-op plan in place. Well, let's say they come out of surgery, they're brought up to their room, and 12 hours later, their numbing agent has worn worn off and they're screaming their heads off. That's where I come in. Okay. And so you get me on the phone and I'm now your voice. And doctors feel uncomfortable. Nurses feel uncomfortable. I feel absolutely comfortable (laughs) because I'm now that patient's voice and I speak with the doctor and I want to know what's going on. How can we get this person uh, in a good place? Why is this person in pain? How do we get this person out of pain? However, I, I have to take an intake from a patient and I'm not a doctor and I'm not a nurse, but a lot of addicts like to get me involved so I can, you know, to help you know, they want, they want me to help them get their medication. So I change things around. I always get an, a history from people, right? Uh, whatever, you know, or I'm called into a pain management center and somebody was forced tapered. 
So I'll, you know, I'll sit down with the patient and the doctor and, you know, sometimes this happens, uh, you know, people are on too much medication and the doctors wants to, you know, try alternative methods and people have to be open to that. Uh, it's just, you know, we're at a point where you get what you get and you don't get upset, but you know, I'm in a room and I'm just there to keep the peace and hopefully, you know, encourage the patient to take some guidance from the doctor. I mean, I can't feel their pain, obviously, but, you know, I was recently given the name, the Aaron Brockovich of opioids. <laughs> and, um, I'm, you know, for me, you guys, I think I've told you this before. Opioids it was the last thing for me. Um, I tried everything else first. Um, and at the end of the day, I didn't like the fact that I had to go on pain medication, but it worked. Yeah. And, um, but it was, you know, I do, I live a proactive lifestyle and I always put that out there. You know, I'm not a smoker. I'm not a drinker. I'm not a smoker, a toker, a vape or whatever. And I, you know, I encourage people to have a good lifestyle and if you need opioids, they should be there for you. Yeah. Uh, have so, you tried, have you happened to try Kratom? No. Okay. So I'm a huge Kratom supporter. Um, I've gotten, you know, super educated on it. And I've, I'm happy to testify at any Kratom hearing in Rhode Island because we are in a, you know, it was banned in Rhode Island. Oh, shit. Yeah. But Mac Haddle, the lobbyist for Kratom, um, was here. I met him about a year ago and I was happy to testify uh, for Kratom. And I'm confident that we're going to make some changes and Kratom will no longer be banned here. I'm a huge, huge supporter of Kratom. I don't use it. I've not tried it because I hear it tastes like shit and I don't want to taste shit. (laughs) But What does um, shit taste like, though? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) haven't tried it. But people like, oh, yeah, when people keep saying it, it tastes bad and you hear that over and over i was like well how bad can this right well i think (laughs) i mean can't you just take it grind it and put it in capsule form i I don't understand you know it it is offered in capsule forms i just tell people make sure you get your kratom from a vendor yeah a reputable vendor that's the problem that's the problem because we we covered kratom in an episode we covered it from beginning to end we talked about the farmers where it's generated what tree it is the leaf everything how it's exported the amount there's going to be a billion dollar kratom industry here in the next couple of years it's, it's already like there's 15 million kratom users in the united states so that's why i asked you about it because it is something and i'm glad that you advocate for it because it is something important that people should be talking about because our stance on it is if it's a plant-based pain medication that helps sure. you in any way that we support that we just don't support the synthesized fake chinese fentanyl and all that shit that comes in because that is very dangerous no matter what you know it's very scary yeah and i didn't know there was such a science behind kratom because i was like well why can't we grow it here and they're like well the climate you know our climate isn't won't work with the growing and there was so much to it but i spoke with um he was the chief of health and human services uh, a former congressman and he's like you know i don't like he's like i don't dislike it but i don't if it's not being tested, we don't know what people are getting. And I understand that that's why that Safe Kratom Act, Safe Kratom Act is being introduced. We need to have, um, people need to be able, you know, to get their hands on Kratom, but we also need safe testing involved on a federal level, I believe anyway. Yeah. Um, because I try to get my elderly people to take it, but I live in a, a state where it's banned, so... Are these people going to get arrested if it's shipped to their home? You know, I'm a big live PD person. I watch that. And I always see they pull over and they're like, oh, we found Kratom. They got to keep the drug war. They got to keep the drug war going. They got to keep their, they got to keep their, they got to keep their funding. There has to be. You know, there has to be a boogeyman because that keeps a whole people don't realize the machine that's behind the drug war. They they talk about the money the DEA spends, the money that the Coast Guard, Coast Guard spends and the Homeland Security and all this trying to keep drugs out of the country. But the thing that they never talk about as much as all the judges that are being paid to put people in jail, the cost of imprisonment behind uh, a lot of the busts, which are 50 percent. Uh, of all arrests are for a gram or less 
So, so you have this whole machine behind the drug war that is driving this. And that's the only reason is the fear. You know, what, what, what is there to fear really about people making a decision to use something that's either going to help their pain, um, physically or emotionally? What is really wrong with that? Uh, I can see, um, a lot of, a lot of, um, there's been a lot of momentum in the movement that you're doing. And I think that's an important, I think they're tied together. I think the drug war and the atrocities of that and the, uh, don't punish the pain rally and the doctor patient forum are all, you know, they're intertwined in that way is because that that's part of the, that's part of the problem is the views on these things at a root level, at a very basic level. Um, yeah. I, I didn't know. I really, I was not, informed about the drug war and the more research I do it's always about money but then you know we're putting people behind bars for a small amount of drugs and same with doctors you know there's not even there's no education it's like okay you did something wrong you're going to prison so the prisons are getting richer right we're building more prisons we're just not even we're just not addressing any of the issues, but our country makes a lot of money off of drugs. And I sometimes wonder, you know, was this part of the plan? If you, you, if you added up, they did a study that we covered. um, If you add up the illicit drug market in the United States, it far exceeds alcohol and alcohol is regulated and taxed and everything. So you have, they can't keep the amount of drugs off. They're bringing $54 million of illicit drugs over the Mexican border every single day. That is their estimate every day. That's the amount that makes it over. That's just the border. That's probably a low. And then you got the blue water bridge in Michigan or the, uh, is that the name of the bridge over there? They, they get bus over there all the time coming down from Canada. The coast guard regularly every four to six months is bringing in three to $500 million worth of cocaine and South American product. This is like a massive, massive, uh, uh, problem in the United States and they're addressing it the opposite way they're making the cost of it better uh higher because the risk is greater they're not addressing yeah. the addiction they're punishing the addiction they're punishing the pain the, um yeah. you know they're not uh so it's just on all fronts the war has just begun because it's going to get so much worse you know the DEA just they're impl- they want a reduction and how you know how much how many opioids they can produce. And I said, well, this, this will be the demise right here. This, if this cut gets, you know, implemented, not only will this force, you know, I don't know how many people with pain will hit the streets. I really, people ask me about that. I don't know. Um, I can tell you it's odd for a person to pain, you know, and I, you know, I try to tell, you know, Dr. Drew this, I said, let me tell you how rare it is for a person like myself who takes pain medication to one day wake up and say, Oh, good morning. Hello, child. Hello, dog. Oh, I'll be back. I'm going to go, I'm going to hit the streets and find some heroin. You know, it's, they, yeah. you know, this country, they believe that it started with a pain pill. And then the next thing, you know, they're shooting up heroin. Okay. I can tell you realistically, the chances of myself, or about 12 million other people with pain waking up one day and having the urge to use heroin is non-existent because they're not addicts. But of course, I mean, we're still not, where would I get heroin? What is heroin? And how do I, now I need to get a needle. And, you know, the process that goes involved in becoming, when you're an addict, it's it's a full-time job. Yeah, And it's a miserable miserable it's a disease of the brain and people and addiction needs to be tackled um and the addictions community they have a whole lot more tools that they've been afforded than people with pain you know if you say my name is so and so i'm and i'm an addict you're gonna you get the help right you actually get accolades at this point it's kind of, of like it's, a, that's a real good point because it's not even just addiction to drugs though it's addiction to there's we are just a nation full of addicts right now oh, yeah. and it's not addressed Absolutely. you know every aspect you got pornography um you know alcoholism 
um, nicotine, caffeine. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's so it's so easy to get an instant gratification now with all the technology and where society's gone with everything. I mean, people are just they get, you know, if they can't get what they want right now, they're whiny about it. You know what I mean? It's just, it's a yeah. crazy scenario right now, but I think addiction is at an all time high overall. I think suicide's at an all time high. And you know, uh, where does everything. it start? It starts at home, right? Yes. You know, if mom or dad is an addict, you know, if my kids, they, my daughters have different dads, lucky me. And, um, if, but if, if either one of them struggles with addiction, I would say, kid, okay, this is the way it is. Exactly. Your dad's an addict, so you've got a 50% chance right out of the gate. Right. You've got a 50% chance. Because my niece, um, her dad died of an overdose. So she knew from a very young age, you don't drink because your dad was an alcoholic. Your dad died from an overdose. So very early on, we, we gave my niece the tools. This is... This is what you're dealing with. It's ge- your genetic. It's in your DNA, and you can change yeah. everything except your DNA. Right. So, you know, I talked with one. He was a former congressman, and he's like, you know, I just want to give you my theory on addiction. I kind of agreed. He said, you know, if your kid smokes weed between the ages of ten and fifteen, their brain is very pliable, and if they're, you know, big weed smokers, and then you know they stop, they go to college. Some people, this is his theory, they get hurt, they take pain medication, and they're addicted. And he, his theory is because that brain was so pliable and it had already been predisposed to alcohol so it's or the, weed. the gateway theory. It's the gateway yeah, theory. Yeah, the gateway yeah. theory. And I don't, look, I don't know about that, but I do, you know, I've got a 14-year-old. You guys have little ones. Yeah. I t- and I talk to my kid about drugs every day. She gets yeah. out, I was like... Oh, may God be with you. Be kind and don't smoke a joint because it could be laced with fentanyl and don't drink because you, you know, this is why she's walking out the door and she's like, okay, you're crazy. Get away from the car. I love it. I love it. Yeah. But look, it's our job as parents to talk with our kids. And if there's an addict in the family, you have to do your job. Yeah. And this is where our country falls short. And these kids with their devices and the likes, right? You know, how many likes am I getting? We, we, you, you just said it. We live in an instant gratification world where, you know, it's a sad world. So what do you do when you're sad? Right. Most addicts, they're young guys, right? White. They're like, oh, give me, you know, let me have a drink. Okay. They, they say the first tie is the best tie. Um, then you're always searching for that high, especially when you're, you're feeling sad and, you know, you can't find a job. So I think we need to implement tools starting at home, starting in grade school, high school. But this country is so hell-bent on saying where we have an opioid crisis and it's because of pain pills. Yeah, it's, it's, it's actually sickening. It's actually, right. yeah, no, you're right. It, it is because it's, um, it's not, it's not when, and I agree with you on everything you just said. It just starts at home. It starts with the way you talk to your children. It's the dialogue you choose to have. It's not, um, you know, I think we've been scared for so long. Like, let's say like a generation, two years ago, like maybe my grandparents, they were so freaked out about marijuana because of the mm-hmm. reefer madness, uh, thing going on and then you know the government just scared the crap out of you we actually read quotes from harry anslinger he's the godfather of the war on marijuana and most of that stuff and he was saying stuff like you know if you smoke marijuana uh you know marijuana makes uh black men uh go after white women and all these things to scare the crap out of everybody back then mm-hmm. and, the, and the world they lived in then, you know, and sure. he was very racially, uh, you know, motivated. Um, and then that's kind of been the culture behind the thought behind that. But nowadays, I think kids need to have a real education and everybody needs to have a real not a propaganda educa- uh, education from the government. It needs to be an open dialogue. And I agree with you 100%. We say the same things uh, to our children, too. Uh, they know that I'm a marijuana user. It's legal in the state as a mm-hmm. adult and as a patient. And I'm a big believer in cannabis. I mean, I would never 
give my kids cannabis or let them have access to cannabis. But if they ended up using it someday, I wouldn't be angry as long as they had a happy life and a productive life and they were, you know, yeah. nice to other people. And if they used it in responsible, you know, in a responsible way, just like everything's used in a responsible, you know, can be used in a responsible way. But it's, that's crazy thinking, uh, 20, 30 years ago, that's crazy thinking, mm-hmm. you know, that's yeah. like, you are in, you are a crazy, uh, outlandish, uh, you know, scourge of society. I mean, why would you ever think that, you know? And, but I have, we have compassion for addicts. We have compassion for people that are in pain. You know, we have compassion for people to start with. And that's the key is like, you'll never understand if you, if you don't understand, uh, no, yeah. I tell people, you know, if you're not sick, you don't get it. Right. And you know, if, when I meet with ugh, lawmakers, I, I hate, that's the worst part of my job. When I leave the state house, I feel like I need a shower. <laughs> um, and so many lawmakers I work with, they're, they're addicts and yeah. they've been in recovery yeah. and, um, you know, they really, they get pissed with me. And I said, dude, chill. Okay. Yeah. You're an addict. I right. get it. Yeah. I'm not, you need to get that. Yeah. I said, so I'm fighting for people who didn't have it, who don't have a choice right. with medication. Yes. You have a choice, but you know, here's the other thing about addiction. I don't like replacing one opioid with another. And that's what happens with Suboxone. Yeah. You go to an addiction center. I live in Rhode Island, a state of 1 million. We have Suboxone centers on every corner that's in Rhode crazy. Island. It's, it's lunacy. And, you know, they're like, oh, well, Suboxone gives people the chance to live a good quality filled life. And I was like, oh, well, that's wonderful. What about my veteran who doesn't have limbs? who had to choose between their one milligram of clonopin or their pain medication. What about them? Well, no, they don't matter because our country simply does not care about sick people. We are a burden on the country. Addicts are not a burden. Here's the difference. Our country and hateful anti-opioid zealots are making billions of dollars off of the backs of addicts. And they're simply just replacing one opioid with another. And I don't agree with it. I mean, I'm fortunate I don't struggle with addiction. But I can tell you right now, if I did, and if I was finally clean, the last thing I would want to put in my body would be another opioid. Right. But but I would never um, say, well, that's it. No addiction medication. Because that's cruel. So that's that's not how we tackle it. It's just my opinion, but the country, this, our government has taken their opinions and they've made it a law. So, um, it's just, it's so sad. Like this, the, the stories, the suicides that I get, um, you know, hundreds, hundreds daily people call me, contact me. And I'm very, I can't take everybody's phone call. I rarely get on phone calls with people now. Um, because I have to be selective because my time, I'm so, so pressed for time. But if somebody is really hurting and I can, I can really pick up on the text, you know, just the, the context, I'm like, pick up the phone. I'm calling you. Let's talk about it. Let's, you know, and I'm not, a, I'm not a doctor, I, you know, and I'm not a therapist, but I'm just a person who got stuck with the short end of the stick Crohn's disease. I've been there. Um, you know, I've been sick the past, uh, like four to six weeks for some reason. I just can't seem to get healthy, but these people, they're so like, they just want to blow their head off. Mm -hmm. And it's really cruel what our government has done. Mm -hmm. So it's, I just tell people, you know, try, you know, hang in there because that's, that's the only, and get out there and protest. The amount of, oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. No. no, no, I was just, somebody's like, you know, you want me to protest when I'm hurting? Well, guess what? I left my hospital bed to attend a protest one time. Right. And, but I'm a fighter because I believe in this cause so, so deeply. It's and a, I fight. It's a good cause. It's a, it's a very noble cause. It's a very risky cause. I mean, you're brave. You're brave because... I think until this point, people just kind of give in. I think until this, the good thing, the one good thing about the internet is right now, 
like us. We, we, we've, we connected on the internet, our podcast on the internet. You've had interviews on people wouldn't know this stuff. The cannabis mm-hmm. movement would be non-existent right now. I mean, there would be no legal cannabis. In my opinion, if the internet had never come around, people would still think that cannabis caused black people to hate white people or whatever. I mean, yeah, it would, it, I didn't know about that theory, oh, by the way. So all, thank you for enlightening me. But yeah. now I'm, that's just, but to, how crazy is that, right? Yeah, People yeah. with their theories, and God, the, the medicinal marijuana in Rhode Island has given so many people just a chance, but also a lot of people just like to get high, and yeah. that's okay. Yeah. You know, people like, but also, I don't think weed replaces pain medication. For some people, I think it works very well with anxiety. For people with cancer, it gives you a great appetite. Um, I tried it a few times, the THC oil, because I, you know, I got my, my medicinal card and that place is like a finely tuned machine. Mm-hmm. The, the, the dispensaries here are amazing and in Massachusetts, Massachusetts, it's legal. But what happens is I live on the line. So if you leave Massachusetts and you've got to drive through to get home, you got to drive through Rhode Island, mm-hmm. you're in trouble mm-hmm. because you just went from a state where it's legal to a state where it's illegal. That's crazy. Look, they need to make it legal in all 50 states without these insane you know, laws. It needs to be legal everywhere. How crazy is this? Oh, it's legal in, um, in every other state. Why? Why is it legal any, everywhere? I don't understand this. Why, um, you know, especially in the southern states, you go to Alabama, forget it. You're screwed right. every which way right. you get, you get pregnant. You're screwed. If you don't, you want to have an abortion, <laughs> you're out of there. You want to smoke weed. You're screwed. You want to, you know, get out of pain. You're screwed. Really? What, what's the incentive to live in Alabama? I mean, it's, it's just really, it's insanity to me. They, um, they, they're losing the battle, but they are fighting hard. They are fighting hard to keep it. And that's what it is, is, you know, state by state, locale, uh, each municipality by municipality. For instance, our city, um, our city has about 30,000 people in it. And uh, two guys went around and got petitions to legalize marijuana to have up to one ounce of marijuana. And this was like 20 years ago. And Mm. uh, they brought it to the city council and the city council was going to vote it down. But legally, state for them to follow state law, they had to pass it because it's in our charter or in our city governance or whatever that uh, with so many signatures on a, on an issue, you can bring it to, you know, they have to pass it if it's a certain threshold or whatever within the city limits. So they reluctantly made them do something they didn't want to do because it was action at the ground level. Right. And that's kind of what sure. the way this is all going to is all these States voting these laws in over and over and over. Now you got like 31 of them. The federal mm-hmm. government has to take a serious look and say, how much more are we going to imprison people for or, or, or arrest them for a gram or less? And 70 percent of those arrests are marijuana. So there's still so much marijuana, um, you know, uh, so much more law enforcement allocated to marijuana than even you would think right now. It's just crazy. So job security. Oh, of course, of course. And it's, 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 it's a judgment thing too. I think some people just look down on people for, for things and oh, stuff. God, I yeah, think it's more of a, like a moral, like, you know, we're like some kind of people are like, have this Puritan view about, you know, work hard, love God, carry your yeah. guns. And I'm not trying to put it in any, you know, any politicized thing on that. I'm just saying, you know, people's personal views, they like to push them on other people too. So that's part it's of it. Just- there's so many labels in the country and the fact that, um, you know, if I ever went somewhere, actually I did, I went on a date and, um, this, my date asked me what I did. And I, you know, I told him, I said, I organized protests for people who need pain medication. This man was repulsed. <laughs> so I laugh when I think about it. Right. Cause the look on his face, he's like, Oh my God. He's like, do you know how many people get hooked on those? I said, actually I do because I have to know, <laughs> but, but you know, just that, that label, yeah. our country is so driven on labels. Um, but you know, as 
as these our kids start to grow, we're going to see a big change with the you know the cannabis, and it's going to be legal in fifty states because the government needs to make a lot of money off of cannabis. Um, one of my my little ones, her dad, he's an investor in a massive, massive. Uh, I don't know what they do at a dispensary. But it's this huge warehouse, and listen, it's a, there's a lot of money to be made in weed, and if it's good weed and people like to smoke it, I don't understand the problem with wanting to smoke a little weed. Right. Um, what's wrong with wanting to get high? Like, think about it, right? You smoke some weed, it relaxes you, and you feel good. You forget well, where you put your car keys, you... <laughs> Want to eat some Oreos? You yeah, eat a I've been sleeve through of it. Oreos yeah. and gain two and a half pounds overnight, and yeah. you have to compete in a fitness competition. <laughs> and but you know, this country they want to take away your ability to feel a certain way, and it's it's just so bizarre to me. With every great movement, starts um, an activist, and it turns into you know, a million activists. And I think cannabis is going in the right direction because you've had so many wonderful activists involved. And I think the government wants a piece of the pie and they're going to get it. Um, I don't know much about cannabis and, you know, the laws other than it should be legal. You know, my mom's 84 and she's like, well, what's, what, what do you spoke? What are those things called? I was like, mom, it's a joint. (laughs) But, you know, I will say as a mom to teens, I don't, the THC oil is very, very powerful, mm-hmm. um, and that scares me because mm-hmm. I don't. Yeah, me too. I couldn't drive after uh, you mm-hmm. know I took that THC oil. Mm-hmm. I thought the you know the cast of the Love Boat was under my bed. I was, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was so high, and Welcome I. To the love boat. Yeah, but I picked up the phone. I called my daughter. I said, oh, my God, don't you ever take THC. Don't you ever. Mommy is held hostage in her room right now. I'm hallucinating. She's like, whatever, weirdo. And she hung up on me. (laughs) But, you know, we have to be careful because some of, you know, the stuff, it's very different weed than when I was a teenager. But you still can't die off of it, though. Right. No, no. Well, so, I, I'll tell you. You might think I'm you're 51, dying. You may think you're dying. <laughs> That's the thing. But it, once again, it all stems back to teaching our kids moderation. That's a word that nobody's familiar with. That's right. why we have gluttonous, you know, people yeah. in the, you know, on the planet who, you know, overdo, everybody, overdo everything overdo you know what i mean everything it's like just and it's not it's just it's just like just because i can you know you know it's it's just it's a shame i can put down a whole pizza just because i can well not me personally but you know that's the that's the thing is i can do it because i can you know i want to and i think that's kind of like a man that's kind of where you know with like spider-man says with freedom comes great responsibility did he say that or was it abraham lincoln i don't know exactly i don't know but <laughs> either way uh yeah w- you have great responsibility with your freedom you there's 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 an aspect of it where you have to have you know there's um you have to have values you have to have some kind of values you can't go into everything mm-hmm. just saying oh, i'm gonna do whatever the hell i want until i till i you know until yeah. I burst or until I fucking yeah, run into flames. That's, you have to have shame. some, you have to, that, and I think that goes back to what you're saying about installing those, instilling those, those values in your children, right? I mean, yeah, giving them so some, important. something to, there's something bigger and greater than just you. And believe it or not, that's, that's true. It's not, you know, I can't raise my kid. I, I raise my kids and they are the focus of, of my life. They're my goal in life is to, you know, make their life better, but I'm not going to blow shit up, uh, you know, blow smoke up their ass their whole life and tell them how they're great and, um, uh, greater than everybody and they're better than everybody and they deserve everything for, for nothing. You know, I, I think yeah. that there's a lot to participation be trophies Partici- for everything. Oh God. Don't get yeah, me. Don't get me started. To me. Don't get yeah, me started. I know. You know, growing up in an Italian household, I can assure you, not everybody got a ribbon, and literally, you got a trophy. Um, but it's just, you know, 
we have to acclimate to different times. It's just so it's so sad to see these really obese kids walk around because they've not been taught moderation. Yeah. You know, the other thing is mom and dad are both working. I get it. I was very fortunate. I owned a lucrative business where I could stay home and raise my kids. But, um, you know, I'm not a traditional mom. I, I'll say shit to my kids where they're, you know, their friends just wanted to come back to hear more of the crazy things I said, but it's real. Yeah. And if we're not real with our kids, that's when that addiction problem can happen yeah. that we don't know about. Look, I got a kid in her first year of college and she just got sworn into a sorority and I called her. I was like, oh my God, what did they do to you? Do I have to kick someone's ass? <laughs> like, who am I suing? But you know, from, listen, my kids, they were raised in a hospital. So I always said, just be kind, be compassionate, make good decisions, stay away from, you know, even if someone's passing a pill around or, you know, just try it, Ava, try it, Francesca. No, don't try it. Be, you know, be the leader. And I try to set by example, I am the leader right now because nobody else was willing to put their face, and I put my face, I mean, you see my face a lot. People see my whole body all the time. Mm-hmm. They see everything about me. But when I made the decision to do this, I went in thinking, you're going to know not only a little about me, you're going to know everything about you're me. You're all in. You're all in. That's what I love I really about am. it. You're all in. You're, you're like 24-7 in. You're not I even. Am. Yeah. And I don't take a break, and I and I don't want these people you need to, to take, take a, a break. You need to take a you need to take some time I for know. yourself every once in a while because you know just I like know. just like we just talked about some moderation, right? You're gonna have to yeah. you're gonna have to learn to turn it off every once in a while. Get you some me time. Go get yourself a you know a spa day or whatever they do. A spa go, day yeah, go so get funny. yourself a massage and yeah, that no, kind I do of stuff. Do that. Good. And I train, yeah. you know, I train daily at the gym. If I didn't have the gym, so here's my addiction. It's to the gym. Yeah. And, you know, just not working out, I'll start to feel a little funny in the mind, yeah. like a little sad. But, you know, I compete once a year to raise money for kids with Crohn's. And I got to look a certain way and I'm vain. Yeah. I'm the vainest person <laughs> ever. And I have no problem saying it, you know. I think I was accused, you know, I got a, I got a good amount of social media haters, yeah. not, you know, that's okay. No, no worries. There. Any publicity is good publicity. Fuck it. Oh, especially for the cause. <laughs> I actually just literally, I got a text while I'm on the phone with you. Your haters are at it. I was like, that's good because they're talking. We're generating a conversation and whether it's about my Botox or my filler or my facelift or this or that, or working out it's good because it's keeping people involved and with a with a a movement like this you lose people they don't want to stay involved so look have at it just stay involved people let's um let's move into a story um that we talked about a little earlier uh about this movement and exactly the hysteria this story is a perfect example of what we're talking about so i'm going to put it out there on the twitter machine for those of you out there listening you can read it for yourself um it's about it's on cnbc.com and it's inside home depot's efforts to stop a growing theft problem at its stores so apparently people are loading up carts full of product at home depot and just walking out the door how do you think me and claudia are going christmas shopping dude <laughs> i just listen i just i just robbed home depot before i got on this call i went to home depot i took my 14 year old i was like hey ava you gotta go show her right killing. let's go let's go take all everything we can get steal it because of the opioid crisis yeah let's take advantage of that broken foot and we're gonna just gonna go steal yeah. everything so some Absolutely. Yeah. Some of the bu- some of the bullet points here. Um, the the organized retail crime costs retailers. They're they're estimating a billion dollars a year or billion dollars last year. That they're, I love how they move from organized retail crime, which is in past three quarters, Home Depot reported an increase um, in that uh, exact figure, which it's 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 resulting in their financial results. So, of course, this is coming to the shareholders at home depot and different people that are running and operating home depot. So what does the CEO say? Um, uh, Carol Tomei, what does she say? I'll tell you what she says. 
I personally personally believe this is driven by the opioid crisis. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, maybe people so just went to Lowe's. How about that? <laughs> so the, them damn opioids are, cut, are, are taking toilets out the damn door and we can't do nothing about it. First of all, there is something wrong with the way your store works if somebody can walk out with a whole cart full of shit and not even pay for it. How about that? How about instead of blaming it on a fake opioid crisis, you turn around and ask your security guards or whoever you pay to design the store, how the fuck are people walking out with full vanity sets and sinks and fucking plumbing supplies without yeah. anybody noticing? How does that even fuck? You know, it's just, it's, it's a convenient Everything right now is convenient to blame it on the opioid crisis because people are making so much money. Mark my words, Home Depot is probably going to get a grant, a federal grant, to help fund, the, to help fight the opioid crisis. You know, even in my state right now, they're they're gearing up for their opioid telethon. I was like, excuse me, you're what? But it's all, it's the money grab. Yeah. You know, it's. You know, Home Depot. I don't even when I when I when um, Dave texted that to me, I started laughing. I was like, I can't. I just can't. But it's sad because everybody's making so much money off of addicts. That's scary. You know, it's like post nine eleven, right? What you know, there's a crisis and. People originally started off, you know, with good intentions post 9-11. Then before you know it, we went into the thievery, you know, they're like, oh, I'm, you know, let's help 9-11 victims. And it's, it, I don't know, our country has such war, a warped way of thinking, um, but they're succeeding. These zealots are making millions, billions, perhaps trillions of dollars off of those two words, opioid crisis they're and, they're opportunists every time there's absolutely. a there's a hurricane or there's well, a before earthquake or sugar diabetes and shit and that didn't really go that well so just move right. on to the next oh, yeah. Yeah, next yeah, drug no. i remember when the 2016 cdc guidelines were released um you know your department of health would say oh well no people with chronic pain have to receive medication because that would be like taking um, somebody who is insulin dependent, taking away their insulin. Well, guess what? People who are insulin dependent, their gabapentin has now been, a, it's, or it's going to be a controlled substance or it, it's on its way to. So now they've gone after gabapentin, Neurontin, as some people would know it. When, when does it end? When is enough enough? I don't like to say fed up because that's the anti-opioid zealots have their own group called fed up. And these are people who have lost loved ones to addiction. So what do they do? They, they sue Purdue and they win $300 million. But where's that money going? Yeah. That money's not, that money, I'll tell you where that money's going. Now they're fighting over it in Oklahoma. That money, that money's going right back into the general fund. No, you addictions will never see any of that money. Right. And the people from these organizations, they're starting to turn on one another. The, the you know the anti opioid zealots Andrew Kolodny and the other members of Prop, but it's like history repeating itself. People start to turn on one another, and you know we we've got a few bad years that we have to go through, but I'm confident that in the end we will prevail. Unfortunately, millions will suffer, and I mean millions because um, it's. When I got called to advocate for a, for a lawmaker in Rhode Island, and you know you're always waiting for that call because you think you're going to say something, but you you know you say the opposite. Like I wanted to say I told you so, but I didn't. Right. You know I advocated obviously, and he was so stupid. He said, "Oh my God, why is this happening? Why is this happening, you friggin' moron? Because you passed the law. Right? Because you thought." You were the hero, you know, when you sit on the house floor in your state building, you really get to see idiots working up close and personal. And you'd never realize how stupid, really stupid some of these people are until you see, until you're on the house floor. 
I went, I got sick to my stomach. I had to excuse myself. I said, I, I just can't sit through this. It was painful. Um, but when I got the phone call, um, and people, I don't know how this guy found me, but he did. And I said, of course, you know, I'm happy to help you out. Um, and it was for his mom who was really sick or I forget, maybe his grandmother. She had cancer. She couldn't get what she needed. Oh, that probably changes views. Right. And I always said, it's, it's all fun and games until it happens to you. Yeah. And it did. And it will. And it's going to affect the senators, all members of Congress. You, it's kind of we're in that holding, that holding pattern where we just have to wait until it happens to you. And I don't like to put negative energy out there, yeah. but it's, it's just the way it is. Yeah. It's, you don't want to, it's not, it's not like, you know, you're trying to spread some negative karma or something, but like when I read this home Depot story right now, I I'm kind of thinking that about Carol Tomei. I'm thinking like, <laughs> why the hell would you bring this up? Like, I hope that it never happens to where you're in chronic pain or need and you can't get what you need or somebody yeah. in your family. I bet you she'll change her perspective on that. But interesting uh, enough is they said when I was talking about how stupid can you be to let them walk out of your store, they watched them leave the store. She said, we watched them leave our store with the product. So, you know, she says, um, often they are, they are armed and we don't want to put our customers or associates in harm's way. Um, so they got, they got some surveillance surveillance video. A suspect is uh, punching a store employee when they try to stop her from stealing, um, another one squirted pepper spray in the eyes of an employee. So basically they're just kind of walk. I mean, that's not funny, but it, what it's is like, it like the walking dead in home Depot? <laughs> people are just know. going up to people nilly willy. Yeah. Well, they're trying to stop them when they stop them. They're, 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 they're all right. Let's say I, I walk into home Depot right now. I'm, I'm a big guy. You know, I can look intimidating. I, I can put on a hat and you know i can grab a couple of milwaukee drills or some shit walk right out of home depot and i guess what these people are doing is like if you try to stop me i'll just kick you in the shin and run out the door (laughs) jump in my car and there's nothing they can yeah i don't (laughs) yeah i mean it's so far-fetched it's laughable i just think home depot and everybody jump everybody has to get a piece of the opioid pie and this is um you know, it's so sad because everybody's lost a loved one to addiction, including yes. myself. Yes. And if you haven't, you will, because that's how rampant the problem. You know, have we, somebody said, have we always had an opioid crisis? I said, you know, I think the drug dealers are really crafty and they're super smart and they're selling a great product. And a lot of the addicts, and, you know, Rhode Island only because, you know, I'm pretty connected in the state with cops and firefighters. Some of my firefighters, you know, give Narcan to one person sometimes three times a day mm. uh, because they know they're going to get resuscitated. They know they're going to get a great high and they know they're not going to die. Right. So but then you go into places like Chicago. Oh, my God. It is it is so terrifying. But. It just, you know, it goes back to, uh, like, why are things so bad right now? I, you know, I think because we live in a super sad country and we have so many confused people and we've got an impeachment hearing going on. And I have no idea what's going on with that. Just so you know, I tried to watch it and I was like, who, who are they talking about? And I just said, what kind of country is this? And I don't follow politics at all. Only, you know, the ones that affect me. Um, but we live in a really sad place, right? Yeah. We live in a, you know, it's, when you, you, it's going to get better. It's going to get a little bit better though, because, um, they're going to start legalizing psilocybin everywhere. So I, I'm, I'm yeah. a big believer in that. I think that there's some, I think that all these things are kind of put us put here for us to help us deal with life. Cause we're not like, we try to paint this rosy picture of, what we're supposed to be and what our expectations of other people are. But really life is, is a lot of chaos. And really, yeah. if you don't know how to deal with it, if you're not equipped to deal with the chaos, then it can do, it's it can do bad so things true. to you. So I think, you know, yeah. with some of these, they're using psychedelics on PTSD on veterans that are coming back from overseas that have seen and, and, you know, lived through some horrible things. There's people that grow up um, living through horrible things that, you know, affect them. And I think, 
psilocybin and other things uh, of that nature can help you, you know, get on with your life to get, you know, that those negative thought loops out of your brain. You know, I, I think that people are affected so deeply by some trauma that they, they can't be productive. I, I think that, you know, it's hard to it's hard to focus on something if it's blurry. You know, if you yeah, don't have if you don't have the end in mind, thinking about what you want to do, it's very it can get lost very quickly. Well, it's I, tragic. I, I think, it is, and it's common. Yeah. It's, you, you know, my brother died five months ago, and he was a cop. And I'm 51. Billy was 52, and my brother was the head of special victims for Providence Police, a big dude, right, bodybuilder, and he was probably one of the most respected cops on the street. They used to call him the Terminator. And, you know, you could go in a gym and my brother would be training with somebody he arrested because, you know, the criminals had a huge respect for my brother. My brother had a big respect for them and he was, he showed he was compassion. Well yeah. Yeah. And he just, um, you know, he liked to give people another chance, but my brother was the biggest, I'm not laughing, but it was so true. My poor, he suffered. He was the biggest anti-opioid zealot. Right. And I said, he was suffering, like he had, he was on dialysis. And I said, Bill, the doctor prescribed, you know, this for anxiety or, you know, he was in pain. He said, you know what he said to me? He said, Claude, I don't want to be like your cult followers. And I started laughing and I said, Bill, cut the shit. Like there's medication here to help you feel better. Yeah. But it was, you know, the kid never smoked a joint in his life, never drank, you know, once again, vain just like me, um, you know, trained at the gym and, but it's just so sad to watch someone suffer. And let me tell you, he suffered in the end and he had a, you know, he was on a vent, but it's, you know, there's medication there for people to help them. And now we have people that don't want to take the medication because of the opioid hysteria and it's got to stop it. I mean, this has to stop. And I know it's going to stop. And I know these zealots that have made, you know, like the Home Depot person, right? You know, those callous statements can do so much harm to the pain community. And even with the media, you know, I have to be good. The media has been very good to me. And I have to, every time I sit down with a reporter, I was like, dude, you got to stop reporting fake news but they're told what to report you know when you see your like your local anchor person they have a boss and you know your local news station is driven by a corporate place with a lot of money but it's like that home deep that home depot statement could is so damaging to one community while another community is making money It, it just this country really needs to um, stop the propaganda, stop the false narrative, take time to be with your children, teach them about addiction. If there's addicts in the family, let your kid know from an early age, this is, this is what it is. This is how it's going to be. You know, I don't complain. Um, after my brother died, I, I came home, I looked at my, my kids. I was like, you guys, I'm going to give you some, I'm going to tell you something. I don't want you to ever forget these words. Life sucks. Then you die. And my (laughs) kids like, what? I was like, yeah, life sucks. Then you die. You live every day to, you know, to the best of your fullest. Yeah. To the fullest. Yeah. And you do it with dignity and you do it with kindness in your heart. And you see somebody struggle, you help that person get back up. Because that's what it's all about. And for those people that are so, so sad, yeah, what a shame though, right? Look, you get to look, you get to die with dignity, but you don't get to live with dignity. Right. I can't wrap that around my head. No. I don't understand the safe injection sites either though. Right. And when I talk with doctors, they're always talking, they speak a different language than I do. So I'm like, look, dumb it down. I don't know what you're saying. You know, talk to me. And like, well, we need the safe injection sites for what reason? Do we need safe injection sites? Like, I don't understand that, but maybe there's a reason for it. Maybe it's a good reason, and I'm just not smart enough to understand a safe injection site. Um, Mom's still learning, though, you know? Yeah. Keep learning every day. Yeah, you're never, you're never 
you never done learning, right? There's a lot no. to this and your, your education on uh, drugs and addiction and opioids and uh, your exposure to the patients and the doctors and the stories that you tell. Um, they're amazing because you're, you're, you're into it. You're representing uh, people that are in need. Uh, you're, you're helping a great cause and, with all that you just said, I think it's a, a perfect outro for us. Uh, we want to thank you for being on the show again. We thank always you. enjoy having you on. I mean, it's tremendous. We just love yeah, it. So thanks. hopefully we can get it. we can get together in the future and we can grow together because you know we're don't because, swear we're, at me no more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys are cool. So are I love you. your music. Thanks. I love the music leading into that, leading into your podcast. It's Thank good you. music. Thank you. It's, I pay attention to those things. I'm a musician, so All I right. pay attention to those. I, things. I made that. I made that intro. So uh, yeah. That's pretty that. good. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, guys. Thanks for having me on, and we'll talk soon. Take care. Okay. Take care. Okay. Bye now. Bye now. Something a little bit of blunt We break shit down and we roll it up Shit look brown and we don't smoke nothing Who do you think you fucking with? I'm an old school smoker Connoisseur of the doja Know what'll keep you up all night And what'll put you in a coma And if you got that strong shit Go on, bring it over Cause these days I'm getting fucked up The night is never over And I'm feeling like a monster This ain't late October But I'm coming up on my 31st Goddamn, I'm getting older And it's time to make a change Something within my range Small steps lead to big gains Trying to dodge the pain I grind for the fortune and fame So dimes know my name It's like I'm rolling with the blinker bro Cause I'm still trying to find my lane But when I do, I ain't going back I know I'm better than the track I track I chose the hard way, survived the hard way And see my worst and best It's all I got left, got my back